Welcome to Restless. My name is Father Joseph Gill, priest of the Diocese of Bridgeport, and you've joined Diane, Lauren, and Paul as together we young adults restlessly seek the face of Christ amid our crazy and mixed up world. And of course, the center and source of our faith is not just an idea or a philosophy, but actually a person, person of Jesus Christ. And, you know, it's funny because even secular scholars who don't really have much faith have to acknowledge that Jesus was a real person. I don't see too many honest scholars who, who deny that fact. But obviously, Jesus is more than just a historical figure. He's more than just somebody who lived and died and, and taught us some good things because he made some radical claims about being the divine son of God. So we're going to talk today about Jesus and about his mother and kind of some of the traits that we admire in them and some of our favorite stories about them. So let's start off with some, uh, some very basic like historical things. Like, what do you know about Jesus you know, from a historical perspective, who is he? He's a Jew. He's a Jew. Yeah, which is which for the time period was a very um, it's a really important fact for how the whole story of Jesus and the Gospels um, come to be, where they are in the world at the time in history, with the Roman Empire having conquered that part of the world and struggling, the Jewish people struggling to control the control their own land with the Romans over them. Um, it was a contentious period. Um, and we see that play out in the passion narrative to some extent. Yeah. So it's really important that he's that he's a Jew and he comes from a Jewish lineage. Well, at least with his with his you know earthly parents, so to speak. There was a saying I once heard: "How odd of God to choose the Jews." It just rhymes. I thought it was cool. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, <laughs> but but also, I mean, it really like they were not the strongest people. You know, their land was this, it, the Holy Land is about as big as New Jersey, so it's not like this giant empire. You know. Mm. Yeah, you can drive through it in a day. Yeah, and so, I mean, God chose this people that was so, not, not really anything significant about them, except that God loved them best. Mm-hmm. So Jesus was indeed a Jew. What else about Jesus? I'm, I like the fact that he's a carpenter. You know, the word in, in Greek is tekton, tekton, which I think is not just carpenter, but artisan, somebody who yeah. makes things with his hands. Yeah, it's a little bit more than just like building stuff, right? That's the way I've been, it's been explained to me. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is, is great because, I mean, he's, this is obviously just an earth, salt of the earth type man. Yeah, yeah. Someone who knows how to work with tools, work with his hands. I mean, he's not some sort of trippy, hippie philosopher, <laughs> which some people want to make him out to be. You yeah, know? that's oh, for I mean, sure. Jesus is my homeboy. Yeah, Jesus is my homeboy. <laughs> Jesus is like, you know, with birds flying on his shoulders, like you see in the statues of St. Francis. And <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh, I mean, this is a guy. This is a guy who commands the respect of fishermen and dock workers, and mm-hmm. somebody who can obviously got some strength because he's picking up a hundred pound cross and dragging it third of a mile after being beaten and scourged. Right, right. He's and he's also talking about his friends, right? The people that he chose, so to speak, to be his friends. Um, I mean, fishermen of the day. You know, we talk about them. We think about this. They they were also not just fishermen. They were merchants too, likely. Um, and so, like Peter probably spoke multiple languages to be able to communicate with all the different people that were in the land. So I think that sometimes, you know, we read the Gospels and there's not as much context around who these people actually were, like tax collectors. A lot of them, the story behind that is a lot of them would steal. They would overtax and keep the difference, right? And 
And so there's a lot of this context around, you know, who he's interacting with and, and who he chooses to be his friends and who are his friends and who follows him, um, which at first was all Jews, which is like shocking, right? Especially if you're, the, if you're looking at the outsider and you're saying like, who is this guy? Or I've never heard of this guy. And you're saying, wait, people are following him as like the Messiah? Like that's blasphemy, right? I mean, that was probably a big chunk of the population at the time. So he's really this, this quite radical figure of its time. Yeah. And also, I think it's worth mentioning that, you know, I think because of that, we always think of Jesus as like, well, Jesus is just this figure that you should just look up to. And, you know, and, and if you're like him, then you're doing pretty well. But they still like, then why, if he's just, just this great guy, which he was, if he's just this great guy, then why was he, why was he executed? Right. Why was he executed? What did, like, it's, it's not that simple. And like, if he's like great guy, like how many great guys do we execute? You know, well, throughout history, yeah, anyone who speaks the truth, it's true. But I think it's important that we understand the context and the time in history when Jesus lived in order to understand him. For sure. Um, we haven't said yet that he's the Messiah, right? Chosen one. Um, and just continuing on with your, you know, he was killed, right? I mean, the person that the Jews waited for for centuries did come, right? And and he did totally like upend their worlds, right? Everything that they thought they were doing that was holy, you know, keeping the Sabbath, following the, what is it? How many, 200 rules or something like that? 613. Oh, oh, oh you're talking about yeah. the Old Testament. Yeah, the Old Testament yeah. Laws. yeah. Exactly. Mosaic law, yeah. All, all the laws, the traditions, he just upended everything, right? Then he told them, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood to have everlasting life. Right. I mean, how absurd would that be? Um, so just the total opposite, uh, of course, of who they expected um, and was crucified for it. But I mean, that shows the depth of God's love for us. Right. That he gave his only son to save us, you know, teach us, support us, love us. And humanity killed him in an extremely brutal way. Yeah. But that was all God's plan from the beginning, correct, right, yeah. for his son to become man. And I think we also have to touch on the true God and true man because I wonder if people still doubt that or, like, if people who don't know Jesus, maybe they can't comprehend that. Because it is a little tricky. Like, if he was, which he was, right, born of a mother, that's another huge um, important piece, son of Mary and Joseph, um, but born as a newborn, like he couldn't, I don't think, have known everything as God, right? I do believe he was a newborn baby and grew in wisdom. Well, there's that. That's one of the biggest mysteries is because, I mean, as God, of course, he knew everything. But then as human beings, did he know everything in his human mind, you know? Well, it's almost like his brain had to like catch up. His human brain had to catch up with his divinity, right? I mean, that's how I've always... Well, I think to be truly man, then as a newborn baby, he was truly a newborn baby. Right. That's what, what I think. And, and I have heard, you know, he grew in wisdom and St. Joseph taught him the prayers. Like, I know he knew everything as a very young boy, but I can still imagine, you know, him being a child and being taught, you know, at the same time. Maybe. I don't know. Do you think it's a, like to dig too much? I mean, not too much, but to really dig into the hypostatic union, do you think it's almost futile? First, we got to define for our listeners oh, what the hypostatic union is. <laughs> That's the, the union of the two natures in Christ, both divine and human. 
Hmm. I think there is a sense which it will always be a mystery because, mm -hmm. you know, I've yeah. heard many times like priests you know, kind of talk along the lines that Lauren would talk about, but then they would go on and take the next step and say, well, Jesus didn't really realize that he was the Messiah until halfway through his ministry or until, you know, the passion or what. And I'm like, well, wait a second. Like, when no, did, that's not true, if though. Jesus really had ignorance, then when did he realize that he was the son of God? That can't be right. Right? I mean, was it just <laughs> one day he woke up and be like, whoa, no. what? I would think he was always um, connected, you know? Like, there are people that can feel a spiritual connection. And I, I would think it would be the same for Mary to be um, born without sin. And just, you know, I mean, most of us can't feel it in our human state, but I definitely think there are people who can. And we've had mystics, right, throughout the age. So mm -hmm. he must have always known he was the Messiah and connected to God, but I still think he could have grown in, in wisdom, in knowledge, the way any child would. That's what I'm trying to say, but... Maybe. We don't know. I don't know. We don't know. Yeah. Should I, can, I, can I mention the non-canonical infancy gospel of Peter? Oh, please do. That's a great one. Yeah. So there's a... There's a is it Peter or James? Because there's a... There's both. Okay. I don't know which one I'm referring to, though. So okay. I'll leave that to our <laughs> listeners to figure out what I'm talking about. But there's a... There's a the, it, it's, they describe Jesus as a kid, which we don't really have much insight into in um, the canonical gospels. And, and he, it shows Jesus kind of as this like powerful kid almost where he has like special powers he doesn't know how to utilize as much uh or he he maybe even even i don't think it's true but even in a like in a non-charitable sense almost and it's non-canonical it was written 200 some odd years after he died so oh yeah and it's not it's not part of our kid but it's but I, that's all I have to say. In the, in the Proto-Evangelion of James, which oh, yeah, one, that would one be, of the ones yeah, that you're referring to, yeah. they, they portray Jesus as getting mad at a playmate and killing him. Yeah. That's and then... Right. Uh, okay, Saint, so that's from Proto-Evangelion. Yeah. St. Joseph uh, reproaches Jesus and says, you shouldn't do that. And so Jesus raises him back to life. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> and that's why it didn't get included <laughs> in the Gospels. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's where we also... That Proto-Evangelion... Evangelium, is that how you say it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's also where we get, like, St. Anne. Anne and Joachim. Yeah, and Joachim, yeah, yeah from Mary's parents, so... Interesting stuff. Diane, any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, just kind of what Lauren was touching on a little bit about um, Mary and Joseph, the fact that he was, you know, brought up by, in a family. So just, and, and the fact too that his, you know, like the first 30 years of his life were hidden and quiet. And so it was really only at the end where he had that active ministry. So I think that's sort of like the formation during those years. And I mean, I'm sure... I don't, I don't know why, you know, like he was called at age 30, um, but obviously, you know, like that formation and time with family and, and everything was, it was very important to, you know, sort of his mission. And Well, yeah. And I think you need, I think you need that time to, I think you need that time to learn like people too, right? Like how can you, how can you properly preach to people and to, to show them the way without understanding them? as you know as a human yeah. living that right this might be a heresy to say so if it is i apologize but i always love when priests start out that way <laughs> sorry go on you know there's in in hebrew the word to know is more than just knowing it's experiencing right so mary says you know how can this be how can i be pregnant i've not known man well of course she knows a man she's met a man but she's never experienced a man in that kind of carnal sense and so you know when jesus had those 30 years you know okay god knows everything Obviously, God has a penetrating, you know, he's omniscient. He knows everything, but he's never experienced 
everything. I mean, could you say that God understands hunger? Not really until Jesus came and actually experienced hunger. Mm. I don't know. Maybe that's a heresy. Paul's giving me the heresy mm. look. No, <laughs> the heresy look? Yeah. I don't <laughs> well, know. I think that, it, one's that one's questionable. He knows everything as God, but he um, helped us to understand the depths of how much he knows us and understands us, right? Because mm. we could say, oh, God doesn't get me in my big struggles, you know, whatever they are. <laughs> it's like, no, God came here, right, and lived a full life, right, from birth to a young death and a horrible death, and he really suffered. So anything that we go through, he has gone through. Right, so, the, true. so the, the, the non-heretical way, maybe, <laughs> I don't know if it's heretical, <laughs> but okay, we don't need that, Evie, is that if we had any doubts that he knew what hunger was or what suffering is, we don't have that doubt. That is true, yes. So whatever the case is, whether or not that's, that that's true or false, it doesn't matter because right. it's, it's, uh, it's past tense. Interesting. <laughs> I just love how overdramatic we can get, you know? I'm just imagining that scenario. Because, I mean, I don't want to make fun of people because there are real stressors in life, but I just think most of the things that we really consume ourselves with are so insignificant. Mm. Um, and we got to stay focused on Christ and, you know, eternity and heaven and, and put things in perspective. And I do think he taught us that as well. But, you know, that, that brings me to a great title of Jesus, Emmanuel. God, God with, with us. us, God with us, and yeah, so we can't say, God, you don't know what it's like, because he's like, you know, I, was, I walked in your shoes or sandals. Yeah, I also love his humility, you know? I mean, I was thinking about this recently, like, man has always searched for God, right, and for meaning, and we have the Greek gods and the Roman gods and, like, their glory and their power, and they would reveal that power, and... um to the detriment of the people at times, right? Or so the people thought because they believed in these glorious figures that they could never amount to. And then God was born in the most humble of ways, you know, as, as we have touched on. And, um, you know, you know, wasn't someone highly regarded, no one with real power, mm. right? No wealth. You know what I mean? It's just the total flip of what humanity would imagine, I would think, God would be as man. And uh, Father Joseph gave an excellent talk on the medical explanation for the crucifixion mm. of Jesus recently. And one thing you said that I hadn't considered before, I knew that he was actually naked on the cross, which I found out recently. And that's that was like a whole other level of like, wow, like completely naked, you know, the embarrassment and and everything, um, but there's so much meaning, I think, to that, right, um, which maybe we can touch on a little bit, but you made the point that he didn't even have a piece of clothing to his name anymore. Everything that he had was given to us, and then, you know, through his death, like, all of his blood, right? right? Like, couldn't have given us more, like, everything. That just shows his love for us, which is so incredible. Yeah. Yeah, that's true, because, and I think that's one of the reasons why his claim to being a Messiah was not accepted. Because they were expecting some sort of king riding into Jerusalem on a horse and with a grand army, and he comes riding on a donkey. Yeah, I think that the the um, the, the differences though is that the the Jews that did understand had a deep understanding of Scripture, put the pieces together, mm. right? They would understand the significance of that, the Paschal sacrifice, the new Passover. I mean, they would understand that, and I think that that's where that's where we find the groundswell of support is the people that. Or the people that, you know, may not have known, but there were people that knew the scriptures well enough to understand these very significant things, maybe in the early church, maybe not during his lifetime, but in the early church that saw the significance of 
the things that he said. I think people during his lifetime knew it because they lived and breathed it. Right. I mean, for, for a Jewish person, scripture reading was what you did every single day. Yeah, well, I'm thinking, yeah, but I'm thinking he had a lot of the poorer folk too that may not have had that. That's fair. That formation in the Jewish tradition. Yeah. Because we already established that Jesus probably would have had more than the the peasant of formation because his father wasn't, uh, he was a little bit more of, more than just, uh, he was a a woodworker, he's a craftsman, right? So he probably was, they were probably slightly up on the... Yeah. And I believe, I think even, even the poor boys in town would have had at least an education to be able to read the Torah in synagogue. I think uh, girls not, unfortunately, no. but boys would have. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Any further thoughts on Jesus before we turn to his mother? Diane, you have a whole page of notes here. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what's on there? Give us something. <laughs> well, I guess we didn't really talk about, you know, like his characteristics. So I think that was, you know, qualities of Jesus that we admire. And Go for it. Yeah. What do, you, what do you admire about Jesus? Yeah. I mean, I think it's just, you know, like his going off sort of the humility call to sinners and um, those burdens and his compassion. So, I mean, just the scripture passages, passages like Matthew 9, those who are well do not need a physician, but the sick do. Go and learn the meaning of the words, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And um, like his compassion in Matthew 9, verse 36, um, he was his heart was moved with pity for them because they were troubled and abandoned. So, yeah, just sort of like his... Uh, his desire for all of the, you know, like the people that society would reject or condemn is obviously something that uh, is very different about him as opposed to, you know, like, and and maybe there were obviously other reasons for people following him, but um, just the fact that he, you know, reached out to sort of like the the people who are just rejected. And I think that's an important distinction that Jesus was deeply compassionate but he wasn't necessarily a nice person. Right. Oh, that's what I was going to mention that. Yeah. You know, because I think that being nice is just being non-controversial and not making right. waves and not, mm-hmm. not requiring anything of anybody. But Jesus, you look at what he said and even what he did and flipping over tables and calling people whitewashed tombs. And that's not behavior of a nice individual. Yeah. That's somebody who was very strong. But when the person was in need, poor, lepers, you know, those who are outcast, Christ was the incarnation of perfect mercy. Yeah. Well, I think that that's the other thing is with, um, you know, when he talks to the Pharisees, the Pharisees, you know, the, the PhDs, the academics, so to speak, and he, he plays word games with them. He catches them in their own speech. And it's like, that's, I like that. <laughs> I don't know, because I, I like using words and, and I have to watch that in myself because I can use words to not be very charitable because um, I'm good with them, but generally, but, but he's able to, but he does it in such a perfect way and he catches them. When he delivers these challenging messages, but they like clearly to have been received, you know, and, uh, you know, you can imagine yourself sort of in in the scenery, I guess, and how he would have like been talking to you. He clearly approached these people with like they knew that they were loved despite the, you know, challenging message. So I think it's it's kind of like you it's very important. I think I mean, I at least try to in my meditation try to place myself in sort of like the shoes of the person in the gospel just to um to understand sort of like the the way that he would have approached you but like sort of the the love that these people to have received that message clearly felt from him that he was willing their good and wanted the best for him so uh, to be able to sort of like 
you know, emulate Christ in our own interactions with other people in terms of like delivering those difficult messages, but um, having them kind of know that it's like we're we're wanting and willing their good to, you know, like communicate the truth. Mm. Truth and love. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not about being nice. It's about, you know, if people know that you that you want what is best for them and for their salvation. Yeah. Well, certainly in the modern world, we seem to want to value being nice above all. But that's not true, right? I mean, you can't be nice to your kids all the time. You have to punish them, and it's out of love so that they learn, right? Sure. Um, you know, you can't be nice to criminals to some extent because there's repercussions for your actions. So I saw a Facebook meme that said, Jesus did not eat with sinners to affirm them in their sin, but to call them to repentance. Right. Yeah. I also have always really appreciated how he, um, you know, especially when I think about, like, my, my friends, like my male friends that are really important to me in my life. It's a small group that's, you know, very, I'm very close with, I would say. And the way he talks to his friends is he's always there for them, but he challenges them and he, he calls them to something higher. And I think that that's really important, especially, I, I, don't, I can't speak for, for women, but certainly in a, like a virtuous male friendship, it's very important to like do fraternal correction and things like that, which is really important because a good friend would. Does that happen in female relationships? I think it does. Um, I, I mean, it is really important to not, maybe not all the time, but um, in order to sort of, you know, grow in virtue and holiness, I think if you communicate with your friends that you're, you know, wanting to be challenged and you have this common goal of sainthood, um, you know, I think you ask for sort of open and honest feedback and criticism and you don't take it, you know, you don't take offense at it. It's a way of sort of growing, um, yeah, growing in virtue, which is obviously what we all need to do and want to do. Yeah. But it's hard to get, yeah, I mean, I guess you, you sort of have to have those conversations to yeah. uh, to communicate I, that that's what you want, you know? I would venture to guess that men might be a bit more blunt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I'll just say I'm very blunt, very direct. Well, that, that's, that's true. It's not just a male tra- uh, quality. No, it's not. And I've definitely had people think I'm like super rude or mean and I'm like... Are you kidding me? Oh my gosh. It's like such little insignificant things, but. Well, I give you all three permission to uh, call me on to holiness. Me too. You got to do that to us. Yeah, I know. Oh no, it'll go both ways. Don't worry. (laughs) Have no fear. I'll call you on too, but. (laughs) No, I think though, I mean, that's just a good point. You know, every situation is different. Every person is different. Some people I think need to be supported a little bit more. Some people need to be gentle with. Some people do need to be more firm and more direct. Like, why aren't you going to church? Yeah. Just why? Give me, oh, you don't have a reason, do you? Right? Most people don't actually have a valid reason. It's an hour for a week. Um, and I well, can yeah, see it in myself. I, I am definitely more firm with others. And then I'm like, oh, gosh, was I too firm? But it just kind of comes out of me. Sure. You know? So I'm like, well, hopefully that's what they needed. Well, yeah, you Jesus, know? Jesus had that perfect tact. I love the story of, you know, the woman caught in adultery. Yeah. You know, and he's, you know, immensely kind and compassionate, but also he ends on that firm note. Like, okay. No one has condemned you. I forgive you. Now go and sin no more. Yeah. And so he blends the two so perfectly together. Mm. The other thing about Jesus, as I was preparing for this, I went through uh, Matthew's gospel. And I mean, there's like 10 different sections, at least in that gospel, of like the importance of faith in relationship with the Lord. So for me, that's something that really stands out of like how many times he touches on it of you know, um, your faith has saved you, um, you know, condemning people for when he was like calming the storm of the sea, condemning the 
the disciples for just, you know, like not, not having faith in him. So I, I think it's definitely like a temptation and, uh, to distrust in the goodness of God and to not have that full faith of like that full surrender, um, which is obviously what, you know, Jesus had in order to, you know, like accept crucifixion and, um, you know, like it, and to, to be completely obedient to, um, what God was asking of him. So, um, yeah, I don't know. That's just something that's very important in my sort of like spiritual life and journey of like the fact that he's commanding this faith and not having fear. And it's it's not like a suggestion. It's a, it's a command. Which makes me wonder, and I, I want to hear your thoughts. Um, so we'd all like to think that if we were back in those, those days, we would be an apostle, right? Or we'd be a f- close follower of Jesus. But be completely honest, if you saw a man walking around like Jesus— who maybe did some miracles, but also maybe said some controversial things. Do you think you'd accept him, reject him? Where do you think you'd fall in this the crowd that surrounds him? Skeptical, probably. I would be skeptical. I'm a natural. I'm naturally skeptical of most things. So that's where I would fall. I wouldn't probably reject it, hmm. but I'd be skeptical. I think I would follow him right away. And really? I could say, too, anything I hear of like a mystical experience, um, near-death experience, I just believe it instantly. And I'm just always amazed. Mm. Uh, the Marian apparition stories, like when I started learning about those, I was just so awed and so drawn in. Like it, that does speak to my heart. So mm. I just think it'd be so beautiful to be in his presence, you know, witnessing his miracles, listening to his teachings. Just I would have definitely just followed him, I think. Hmm. Yeah. I definitely would have been interested. Sorry, I'll, I I think I cut off Diane, but um, <laughs> I uh, I, uh, I would have definitely been interested in his in his teaching because I'm curious person, mm. and especially because he was a storyteller, right? Loads of parables, parable after parable after parable. I would have been very interested in that. Hmm. But you know, I can listen to to Sam Harris talk and find it interesting, but I don't believe him. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I think. I mean, there was clearly something like intangible about him that other people didn't have that people were just dropping everything to follow this person so that and the fact of just i mean if i was an eyewitness to all of those miracles and things that he did and then to paul's point of you know i i feel like the jews of the day really knew scripture and so you know you can kind of especially you know seeing like the passover and just everything that you you kind of maybe would have been able to put it together after witnessing all that and like going back and kind of reading about okay like what what do we expect of the messiah yeah mm-hmm. but i don't know like if someone came obviously it's a different situation now but that, the fact that jesus has come but like if someone was walking <laughs> down the street and was proclaiming to be you know messiah I, I, then well, so i actually I would, had that one time <laughs> some guy come into my office and just tell me by the way i am jesus oh <laughs> That's, I said, you're off your meds. So in Israel, they actually have, there's like, the, there's they have a Messiah of the day. So every, yeah, like every, you know, I don't know, 10 to 20 years, there's like a new person that they're pushing as the Messiah. And so like, if you're driving around Israel, like in the, obviously in the Jewish sections, on the back of signs and like little things, you'll see the picture of like a guy. And that's who they think right now is their supporting huh. us it's really i forget his name but there's a guy that there's a group of people in israel that support and they put his picture everywhere and you'll just see it all over israel interesting so yeah one of my uh one of the kids in our youth group um tommy whom you know and uh tommy's tommy is currently dating a jewish girl 
and he went over her house for Passover this year. Mm. And I, I asked him, like, you know, what was that like? You know, because he's a good Catholic. And he says, I thought it was, I mean, it's, you know, the meal was good. It was nice. But he thought it was so strange that they're still waiting for someone who already came. Yeah, well, there you go. And he's, he's like, I wish I could just tell them, um, yeah, you know the guy you're waiting for? Yeah, yeah I know him. He's, he's here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sebastian Meniscalco has a good bit on the Passover Seder uh, food options. Oh. Which I'll leave that <laughs> to your own. <laughs> sometimes they're better than others. Because yeah, his wife some, is Jewish. Some good roast lamb. but Yeah, lamb is good. Yeah. Anyway, thank you so much for joining us this episode of Restless. We never got to Our Lady, but we'll have to make a whole other episode on the characteristics of Our Lady that we love and admire. But uh, thanks for joining us. And let's turn to Jesus. He is the, the heart and the center of our faith, the source and summit. You can find us on Veritas Catholic Radio, 1350 AM, and wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in next time.